Today on the show, episode 50 of the podcast is here with guest host Andrew Osenga talking to yours truly. That's right. I get interviewed on my own podcast, which is sure to be the most self-indulgent thing I'll do all year. So here we go. Episode 50 of Who Writes This Stuff. Hey guys, hello, welcome to episode 50, this is uh, Who Writes This Stuff, my name is Nick Flora, um, thank you so much for, for tuning in, I feel like um, I should, shouldn't should talk too much up front because, you know, I am doing a lot of talking in this episode, but just a quick uh, sort of behind the scenes, I, I put out all the time asking people who who you know you want me to interview or talk to or have on the podcast or what kinds of people, and, and honestly, one of the most uh, requested is me, which, you know, is flattering. Uh, that you guys want to hear more of me talk. Uh, <laughs> but it also always seems self-indulgent and just like, you know, I don't know. I feel like I talk enough and maybe you guys get enough of my story and stuff uh, just from me talking to other guests. But um, And then uh, my friend and fellow you know, producer and musician and all around everything. Awesome. Andrew Asenga, uh, also brought it up to me. He was like, Hey, you, we should do that. And I'll interview you. Cause since he was the first guest ever on episode one, I feel like it was sort of fitting. Um, so we've been doing this for two years now. Cause, uh, we try to do 25 episodes a year. Um, and that's a full season. This is the end of season two. I can't believe it. And uh, this is crazy. I, I honestly, when I started this thing, didn't think I, I would. I didn't know if I would get past episode ten because I didn't really know if people would care or listen or engage or anything. And so to get to episode fifty for me is a milestone, and I'm happy about it. Um, and uh, so I mean, so I went over to Andrew Senga's the other day, and, and uh, I had no idea what was going to happen. He he kind of basically. I don't know. This podcast doesn't take that much effort as far as like planning goes. Like a lot of the times I wanted, I wanted to feel freeform and conversational, just like you would be sort of jumping in on a, on a coffee chat kind of thing with uh, some, you know, just two people who just happen to be involved in the same kind of thing. So I, uh, that's just sort of what this episode is, but I do talk a lot and my instinct when I talk a lot, you know, little pop-ups in my brain or <laughs> little warning signs are like, go off. Like you're talking too much. You're talking too much. And I have to remind myself that, um, that I, I am, the, I am the, the guest it's me. Uh, so anyway, uh, Andy and I talk a lot about, um, just sort of like, you know, why, why I started playing music and moving to Nashville and starting this podcast. And then a lot of, uh, talk on my new record too. So if you haven't had a chance to check that out, I mean, I mean, I might as well just get over the fact that I'm being self-indulgent and tell you that it's called <laughs> The Reintroduction of Nick Flora and it is out now on iTunes. So uh, I will get all this business stuff out of the way too. Uh, hit the music. All right. So <laughs> as a lot of you know, sorry, this is just really funny to me. As a lot of you know, uh, if you want to contact the show, who writes the stuff podcast at gmail.com. We're going to start doing uh, some recurring segments involving you guys soon in uh, season three. So I, I want, I'm going to start sending out some, uh, some emails. So if you guys want to sign up on the email list, you can do that as well at the podcast blog. Um, but, or you can email who writes the stuff podcast at gmail.com. If you have anything that's discussed on this episode or previous ones grabs you in a certain way, shoot us a line and, uh, and let us know. And I might read it on the show. That's actually a segment that's going to, uh, start recurring. And, uh, so I'm really excited about that. Some cool things coming up for season three, for sure. Already in the works right now. And, uh, also leave iTunes reviews. I know, I know I say it every time and a lot of you are so sweet and nice and awesome and go over there and leave iTunes reviews like Kaz Moy, uh, left a, the last iTunes review, uh, and on the podcast. And I thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. Some very kind things. So, uh, thank you, sir. And or ma'am, I'm not exactly sure what Kaz Moy, uh, is referring to gender wise, but thank you very much. Um, all right. I'm not going to talk anymore because I talk literally this entire episode with, uh, my, my guest host on episode 50, Andrew Osenga. So let's get into it. Here's Andrew Osenga's talk with me, Nick Flora, episode 50. <laughs> so nickflora.com. <laughs> That's so right. You're from Arkansas. Absolutely. Right? And yeah. Thanks okay. for asking. Well, welcome to episode 50 of Nick Flores Podcast. That's this right. Is your guest host, Andrew Osinga. Sitting here with my illustrious guest, Mr. Nick Flora. <laughs> it's so professional. Well, you know, 
That's really good. You have a you have kind of a good radio voice. Do you ever get told that you have a good speaking voice? No, I you kind hate of do. my speaking voice. No, it's kind of good. I feel like all I say is like and awesome. <laughs> well, I've edited two podcasts you've been on, and and that is true. I know that's not all you say. I also say, dude. You do say that a lot. I speak. My, the the thing about me is, I feel like I'm a fairly eloquent writer. <laughs> true, but. In conversation, I am just a very animated person, and so I'm very, I don't know, well, exclamatory. You're very excitable. I, I find this with a lot of musicians just because a lot of us started getting, I feel like our, our growth kind of got stumped as, as a, <laughs> into adulthood early, because we all got into music as teenagers. Yeah, so we didn't learn to it. talk. So it's just like, yeah, exactly. It just, <laughs> it just It's sort of, because I perpetually feel like an eighth grader when I'm speaking, like, when I'm speaking to adults, people who I... <laughs> people who are now younger than you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, all those adults playing college football. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're children. You or when, I, when somebody that has, like, a like a in-depth opinion on the government shutdown, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm an eighth grader now. I don't know what to... Yeah. I don't know what to add to this conversation. Yeah. That's a very topical reference. I just yes. Made. People listening to this in the future won't... They'll be like, oh... Government shutdown? Just dated this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, um, this is episode fifty, and I wanted I wanted to. <laughs> I think we had talked a while ago about you talking about just interviewing me or something. On yeah, it. well, I th- so I thought maybe what we could do is we could get a brief little look at how you became to be the Twitter celebrity mm. that you are. <laughs> I love that. That's my moniker now. <laughs> Not the fact that I play music or anything, but I'm <laughs> yeah. really good. No, I have, a, I have an internet connection and a and a, a brain that has a penchant for 140 characters. There you go. <laughs> That's me. Yeah, and then I thought we could maybe talk about the new record. So okay, so how? Okay, so your dad is obviously mm-hmm. to me obviously a monster musician. Yeah. Your when did you first discover songwriting? As far as like writing goes, yeah, because music was always there. And I think I've, I've might have. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm gonna put one preamble out there, just or one. Like I've probably said a lot of this on the podcast already, but uh, or just mentioned it, or especially the episode with my dad. But like seriously, oh, that's right. Him being a musician. That was a long time ago. But him being a musician, sort of put it. It it seriously was amazing for me, logging it in my brain as a kid as a job. Probably your kids as well. Like mm-hmm. <clears throat> logging it in in their brains as like a. A, a job, file it away, just the same as like a doctor yeah. or a lawyer or insurance agent or whatever it is. Those are my always my examples. A barber, there we go. Uh, as like a profession that you can do, and so like I, my dad paid our bills with music, so I'd always it was never even a quite it was completely normal. So as far and there was always music instruments around the house and stuff. So trying to, if I wanted to make music, I just had to like extend my arm slightly to the right, and there was yeah. something there always. My dad, my, my dad was a band director. <clears throat> for years and years, like he was a professional musician, you know, playing with, you know, playing in the horn section of all these like really gr- uh, greats of the day. Yeah. And then he turned into like he just decided that the bar scene wasn't his thing or the casino scene, I guess. And he kind of went more towards teaching. And and when he did, he just started bringing him all these instruments from like band rooms and stuff. And it was a lot of them were just con- like Dean busted, and those were those were my favorite because he would, he would bring home like. I remember he he like soldered together a trumpet and a flugelhorn and something else because mm-hmm. he also like can work with his hands, uh, which I don't have that ability. But he and he would just be like, "This is a thing," and that was you know just for like us kids to mess around on. Like he yeah. he was really good at being like anything that you can sort of take and turn into a creative thing. Like you should do it and run with it. And if you get so good at it, you could like do it for the ever. <laughs> and that was such, and early on that was so instrumental pun intended, uh, about, you know, how to sort of like do something. And if you, if you love something, if something makes you feel good, like you could do it forever. You know, that's why I decided to become a cocaine addict. Um, <laughs> um, but, um, but uh, there is a, but as far as writing goes, like I honestly just, it just came from like my favorite class and like was like was English class yeah and I love doing they would do this I don't know if they do this in, in your school but our English teacher would do the the we'd have free writing for mm-hmm. the next 10 minutes just write like it doesn't have to be anything just write whatever comes to your head it could be a story it could be a journal entry it could be whatever it is you could be how you're bored at this assignment and those were my, that was my favorite because I could just that blank page became yeah like 
possibility personified. Yeah. And so like as so as far as that goes, it, I I dabbled a little bit as a kid. Like I I actually I, I completely forgot about this until now. I had a, I wanted to be a, a cartoonist for a long time, mm-hmm. and like I was really I became like nerdy obsessed with like Jim Davis who did. Garfield, oh, yeah. Watterson, who did Calvin Hobbes and the Far Side, and like yeah. those are like my three main ones. And I, I was into all those really? as well. I know you Not love Calvin so much Hobbes. Garfield, but he was a little bit more Cal- of the pop mainstream. Yeah, Calvin the- Hobbes sort of stole my heart after a while. But oh my gosh, as because it's the best. It's, but- it is amazing. Like it's amazing now reading Calvin Hobbes and. Ninety percent of the humor I didn't get as a kid. No, but my kids, my my oldest daughter is starting. She like will get them down and read them, and she's belly laughing. Really, that's she so good get, to know. But she, she doesn't, doesn't get, get it. it. She can't even understand half the big words. Yeah, you know. I mean, but honestly, Calvin and Hobbes, like reading it as like a seven and eight year old kid, like because my, my brother was older than me, and he had so he really got all of these. So I basically. You know anything that was ready for him as far as he his brain can handle it. Yeah, I would get also yeah. just handed down to me. Maybe at an earlier age than most kids are used to getting. For sure. Um, like I remember getting into Weird Al way before I, I could understand what Weird, why Weird Al was funny. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I wasn't allowed to listen to pop radio, so I didn't know that he was lampooning songs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> I still will hear songs on the radio. Go, oh, too. that was a cover. I heard. I heard uh, the. Oh, I can't remember the, the name of it the song now but it's um, Addicted to Love oh yeah and he had a song called Addicted to Spuds yeah about about loving potatoes which just makes me laugh now just talking about it but he but seriously sincerely I heard the Addicted to Love and I was like I was like oh (laughs) that's a Weird Al song I had the same experience with George Harrison's I Got My Mind Set on You which I thought until I was probably 28 It was, this song is just six words long. This song is just six words long. Which is a seven word sentence. Which is the... <laughs> just like six jokes in one. It's but that's amazing. That, that seriously was like a huge part of... Like Weird Al was so huge for me. And the more the older I get, the more I start realizing <laughs> early on. And my, and my parents loved that I listened to Weird Al, even though they were, they were weird about me listening to anything that was top 40 or... Mm-hmm. or uh, secular, if you will, uh, of, the, uh, of the world, exactly. And uh, but they were fine with Weird Al, even though he had veiled sexual references every once in a while. But they, I don't know why. I guess just because my yeah. dad, my dad was genuinely humored by Weird Al. Like my dad, I think really my, thought my, he was dad funny. my parents were the same way. And he was this dork, and he played he played polka music. He was like a really accomplished uh, accordion player and piano player. Like he's actually a very talented musician. Really, and uh, I I. If I the, if I ever get to shake Weird Al's hand one day, like it will be, like I could just, I, I don't know what it will do inside of me, but there will be fireworks for sure. But he's, <laughs> but I, I feel like he did a great, great thing for me because he introduced the idea of combining comedy and music, and I had never really, I you know I was like yeah, there's stuff you laugh at, and then there's music you listen to when you want to get into it. Like I, I don't really, you mm-hmm. know, I don't know if I delineated the styles as as much as as that like as far as thought processes go but there was definitely like like and especially like oh you can write like funny stuff and you know and and sing funny songs and you know he was the first guy I really ever heard I got something to say something that will blow your mind the moment I hit the stage I'm sure you felt it inside you know my neck for hyperbole Yeah, so who were, so, like, when you were in junior high, who were you listening to? Junior high and high school. President Com- Company excluded? <laughs> yes, please. Uh, Mercifully. No, that was high school. But, uh, I mean, honestly, junior high was when I first found, I got a boombox for my birthday when I was 15, 
And w- along with the boombox, I got Jars of Clay as much afraid. Yeah. Which uh, was huge, a huge step for me. But before that, but my dad was nice enough to be like, let's go to Walmart because it was the only place in our town you could get music. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'll let you pick out two CDs. And I bought Queen Greatest Hits and awesome. because my brother listened to Queen and then Dave Matthews band Crash because my brother listened to Crash <laughs> because it was a yeah you had, I think to be an American citizen you, you had, had to buy that record but and I and I ate it it was not a good 1998 and I was just yeah and I was just starting to play guitar and it was and my brother was like yeah he plays acoustic guitar you should get that one that's the wrong that's like the opposite it's a great guitar player <laughs> and I, I would listen to like so much to say and all these songs would be like I have no idea like I needed yeah. to buy Matchbox 20 if yeah. I wanted to learn chords I John Fogarty songs <laughs> exactly <laughs> and I think I did Not, it wasn't long before CCR entered the equation but honestly like I didn't know anything about I wasn't allowed to listen to any sort of pop music so that introduction and then my friends started getting cars and when you get cars you get CD players and so you really start buying CDs So and they, they all had cars before me so honestly like driving around all my friends now I think about it were, were like old men in the bodies of 16 year old boys because they would just listen to like CCR and now now it's you have to remember in the 90s it wasn't cool to like Bruce Springsteen it, or yeah. you know, especially for teenagers for teenagers and it wasn't cool to like U2 even though you know pop had just come out but it wasn't really cool to like you know, to like old guys playing music, and so yeah, or even like they loved Brian Adams. So I loved Brian Adams, <laughs> and, I, and part of me still does. Yeah, I missed the train on that. That is yeah, no. <laughs> but there was a part of me that 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 still does like the Brian Adams MTV Unplugged album was. A, I think we talked about this in the podcast before with somebody else. But that was such a big. I loved it so much, uh, and I if I still hear a song off of it, I'll. I now as a as a formidable songwriter, I can tell that. It, it's pretty cheesy, uh, but there was, I mean, there was that stuff, and then there was the other side of it with, like, like I said earlier, like with Weird Al and, uh, uh, like the first like pop bands that started getting into. See, this is gonna offend you because <laughs> because we I know we've had conversations about this before, but I love Third Eye Blind. I know, <laughs> I know, I and still love you. I know. See, that's that's how you know this is real. We're Andy. real friends. Yeah, <laughs> because I do love Third Eye Blind, or I love one record by them. Because they felt angst as mid twenties, as I, the same angst I felt as a fifteen year old, and uh, <laughs> which must have been like, ooh, they're angsty. I want to be angsty too. And he can rap, <laughs> and he's not afraid to. Uh, but the, the, they were they were a big one for me. But like moving on, honestly, like because my mom didn't necessarily my my dad was kind of okay. Like my parents split down the middle as far as letting me like what it was okay for me to listen to. Yeah, and. My mom was still like maybe like lean towards the Christian music vein a little bit, and thank goodness that was right at the right at the time like ninety seven ninety eight when like alternative Christian started yeah, there coming were out. Some good artists, yeah, and there were some really great. I mean, you had to sift through it, and believe me, I did. And to sift through it in the nineties, <laughs> you had to buy the you album, to, yeah, yeah, it listen to money. it, yeah, see if it sounded good. If not, you just tossed it aside. Like I, I had mounds and mounds of CDs from Christian artists, and a lot of them were so terrible yes and a lot of them were so it was so obvious that record labels christian labels were just seeing what was popular in the mainstream and finding a band in a youth group somewhere that kind of sounded like it yeah. <laughs> you know like oh 311's big that's how i got i know that's how my career started <laughs> and that, i get such a kick out of like even now like talking to i've sort of become you know friendly and you know friends with a lot of these guys now and it's so interesting like to be like, it seems like that's what they were trying to do, and they're like, oh yeah, no, that's exactly what they're trying to do. Yeah. You're, just, some of us, some of us, like, were able to swim. Past I know that, net, and that was know? the beauty of it. And, like the stuff that, ri- that rose to the top for me were were bands like Jars. I feel like it's consistently been great, and great. and and honestly, the Normals. You guys were one of those bands where I could tell just from the leap from the first album to the second album, you could tell like, oh no, these guys are like in it. To you know, if you guys had repeated, but they're didn't definitely know. not in it for the money. Listen to that record. It's so different from the one that's Man, sold. But, <laughs> but it's so. I, but coming to life, like, I mean, Jerry McCauley and I talk about it all the time. Like that, that was like a game changer album for us, as far as like because we were just learning to write songs, and like there's so many depths to that. Like there's so many levels to a lot of those songs, and like mm. that was a huge, huge one for me. And then you. you're welcome, and we're done. Uh, that's really, that's why I brought you here. Yeah. But Thanks I mean, for listening to this podcast about Nick about Andy. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what every one of our podcasts is about? 
<laughs> but I'm trying to think. There was there's a couple others like the of those like I'm trying to think of other. Well, Switchfoot was a big one for me. Yeah, and I just saw them last night in Franklin. Oh, yeah? And uh, they're awesome. Every time I I I see Switchfoot, I'm reminded of how great they are and why I love them. And then the further I get away from seeing them or listening to them. I sort of like fall into this and like, is it embarrassing that I like Switchfoot? You know, are they, st- are they like meant for, you know, teenagers and youth group kids and all this stuff? And then I see them again and I'm like, oh no, they are awesome. They're like, awesome. I, I was genuinely moved. There was four or five times last night when I saw them that I was genuinely like, like moved in my soul. And I was like, this is why I love music. Like, yeah. And I think John Foreman, his specific voice, like his songwriting voice and there's a lot of like what I'm trying to accomplish as a songwriter. And there are other guys too, and I haven't even mentioned like Ben Folds Five. It like was a huge one for me, but yeah. But like I love them so much. Even last night, like I would tell, I would grab anybody on the street and be like, "Switchfoot is amazing." You know, like you're just on this mm-hmm. high. Yeah. But I, I think just because they were sort of cast into the role of the this is a youth group band, and they toured yeah. with like ska bands early on, and yeah, that, there's yeah. there's still sort of that stigma attached. But man, I I have such the utmost respect. Where and they play in Franklin. They play the Franklin Theater. Downtown, really? Because they showed their they're, they're touring a movie. Oh wow, I which is that. great, really good. It's just a documentary about like their last year on the road and like how they opened for a bunch of metal bands and then <laughs> and played like like they went to Bali and played at like a coffee shop like and you know people showed up like and I was like how do you how do you wrap your mind around the fact that you could go to Bali and people show up and sing your words like that's, that's crazy. It, it was really oh, great. I got to see that. It's called Fading West. I think it's the, their sort of debut. Touring with it, debuting it, yeah. and then doing like a like a like a mini show after. And it, it was really cool. It was oh, a cool like fun. cool evening of like just creative stuff. But they uh, they were a big one for me too. And then honestly, like all those, like, I'm, I'm I'm listening on people now because I was talking about it last night after that show. Like there are bands that I, like so few artists that I would listen to when I was 15 and 16 and like felt like they got me mm-hmm. that I can listen to now 15 years later and still feel like they get me. Yeah. And the three that I, I mentioned was Switchfoot, Jars of Clay and you. Like oh, honestly, like <clears throat> the fact, you know, you in all your iterations, you know, as far as between the normals and, and even like the Cayman's record, uh, the, you were huge. What was it called? Oh, the overdressed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just, uh, uh, and that's why I continue like, I'm so like blown away to keep you want to keep working with me and <laughs> well, we'll get to that it's because you're freaking awesome Nick. well um, I like where this is going yeah uh, <laughs> but there, there really is I mean honestly as far as like guys it could have easily been switched around like where if John Foreman was the guy that I just you know made friends with instead of you mm-hmm. I feel like I would I would still be like man I'll I really want to be friends with Andrew Osenga one day. Like, mm-hmm. now I'm just like, I really want to be friends with John Foreman. I think it'd be cool to be, like, in his <laughs> group of people. It could easily be switched like that. Because I feel like you, both of you guys, like, do something to me, especially early on. And then through, you guys didn't stop growing is what it is. Like, you didn't stop, like, asking big questions and every, along the way. And that's honestly what I'm looking for in any kind of art, I yeah. think. Like, who who's still pushing themselves, you know? And that's why I... I, I I keep going back to this. I've said a, a few times on this show, uh, but like that new Paul Simon record, that so beautiful, yeah. so what? Like this yeah. guy doesn't have to try anymore. Why is he no. still? But he's still like grappling. He could be with, doing greatest hits tours. Yeah, like all the he other could, people. He could retire to Vegas if he wanted, and I mean, people wouldn't worth, bat an eye. Yeah, but the fact that he he still he made like some of the songs on that record are some of the best songs ever written. They're um, they're amazing <laughs> and, and deep and weird. And that inspires me. Like it, like I and I feel like and I hope that I will be that guy. I will yeah. not be pushing my I, I will still like be pushing boundaries and making myself go to weird uncomfortable places to try to answer these questions, these life questions and these art questions and like yeah. what, you know, like why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you keep if you're the best you've ever been? My dad talks about this a lot because he's like you know, he's in his sixties, and he's like, "I'm the best I've ever been at my instrument." And now he gets he gets invited to this. He's retired from teaching, and he and he just gets invited to all these trombone workshops across the yeah the country, and he gets to like stand on stage with literally ranked the best like horn players, trombonists, and stuff of of his generation. And they they look at him and they toss him a solo in the middle of a song, and he's like, "I'm ready." He's like, "I've been let's go." He's like, "Why would I phone it in? Like, I've been practicing for years for this." And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, I don't. That's such a great. Like, you can just tell that from the way that you, well, especially this latest record, I feel, which actually engages a lot of those questions about sort of calling and uh, determination mm-hmm. and 
Yeah, just the work ethic. Like, you made a record about, like, work ethic. Yeah. Which is a strange thing to make a record about. A, but it's true. It's, it's, that, it's that married with, it's like... inspiring. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it is. It's, it is really weird. Do you ever do that, where, where you write a record and you, you think you know what it's about, and then, like, while playing it... Oh, yeah. You're like, oh... Like, even while you're explaining it to an audience, you sort of explain it to yourself a second before it comes out of your mouth. Like, oh, no, that is what it's about. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I find... I'm the kind of person that needs to talk to work things out. I don't know what I think until I've said it mm. to somebody, which is why my wife is just an amazing person. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of our conversation is just me saying things I don't actually think to, to learn that I don't think them. Yeah. And often just putting my foot in my mouth. And, yeah. And, uh, a little bit times mid-sentence where you're like, oh, no, I don't believe in yeah, this at all. Why I don't think... Or all five minutes later, like, hey, everything I just said to you, I was totally wrong. But I needed to say it. That's so true. I heard it come out of my mouth and then realized I was an idiot. If you if you have somebody like that that you can d- say that to and they, yeah. they still stand by you as a credible person, stick with that person. We make records like we overanalyze so much of it. Do you think overanalyzation can like stump creativity? I think that if you if you have a very specific notion that you want to communicate, point A, Mm -hmm. that can kill it. If you there's you know especially if if you've ever heard a record about a social issue, they're unlistenable. Yeah, always. Sorry, Bob Dylan. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. And, well, that's the, the funny thing about Bob Dylan is that all these people think that they were, those songs were, that most of the songs are about relationships. Mm-hmm. And then he has a couple little political statements in there. He does get that Half the time, he doesn't even agree with. He's, it's coming out of the mouths of different characters. All the things that he was sort of known for in the 60s. Yeah. He wasn't really that. Most of those like tangled up in blue and all that. I mean, that, that, like those are songs about girls. I haven't paid attention to. Are there songs much. about God? Oh, okay. and there really aren't. Yeah, and you know, blowing in the uh, you know, blowing in the wind. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's sort of that's more about it. Yeah, that's more about like him finding his place in a in a world that's in upheaval. But it's not a political statement. Yeah, it's just people with political statements decided to make him their poster boy. Oh, I see. You know, now Springsteen's a guy that. That's done political statements, and it's like you know me. I love Bruce Springsteen. Sure. He can write some dumb songs when he's trying to make a point. Uh-huh. But then when he's, it's 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 almost like reading Wendell Berry's essays, and you go, "This is just a crazy old man yelling at kids to get off his lawn." Then you read his books, <laughs> or you, you hear the songs that that folks write that aren't with an agenda, yeah, but that are from their perspective, and they write about people, yeah, and you go, "Oh." I want to buy a farm and live in the middle of Kentucky. Or when you read Wendell Berry, you're listening to Springsteen. You're like, well, I guess I'm a Democrat <laughs> or whatever, you know, yeah. like they, they make their points better when they're telling stories. I, I absolutely, I think they actually last night in, in that movie, the switchfoot said that like they're, <clears throat> I think John Foreman at one point says, you know, you can tell, you can list facts and figures and, uh, shove it down people's throats all you want, but the the thing that's really going to do the do the best as far as like movement goes in your soul is is through poetry. Like hmm. you're gonna get something across better if it's said beautifully, even if they don't speak the language, huh. uh, because it that like there's just something there's an X factor there's like a little thing that we can't put our put our finger on, you know that that speaks to people more through like an artistic bent than yeah. than like. Well, here it is on on paper. Like this should make sense and change your mind. But I don't know. There's just something. And so that's sort of what they're what they're chasing. Because I mean, Switchfoot could very easily. I feel like if they wanted to be a political band, 
Yeah, <clears throat> they seem very like especially John is very well read. Like mm-hmm. he's very well versed in a lot of these things, but they just choose to focus on people. And I and I was like, that's that's what I want to do. I mean, the like I'm inspired most by my relationships with my friends and my family and yeah and the people I meet on the road and like especially like this. I've started, I kind of fell into just telling, like, family stories on stage, and a lot of them from my ancestors, as far as, like, people, that, you know, elder relatives I didn't even really know, and uh, it's been amazing how many people, because everybody has family, so I didn't even know I was tapping into, like, a universal thing, but everybody mm-hmm. has a family member, like, that is at least done something crazy, and so yeah. the thing after my shows has become people coming up to me and telling me also telling me a crazy story about something that their grandfather did or their uncle did or something. Yeah. And so we just sort of like, and let me just talk about like, what do we learn from them? <laughs> what do we learn from the sort of faults or, or the triumphs of our, of our ancestors, you know, cause you can't know, I can't remember who said it, but you can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. And I feel like that's a huge, like, like sitting down and like actually listening to like my grandparents when they talk or my parents when they talk, like <clears throat> I've started, and this podcast has been a huge part of that because it started informing. Like I did this, two, started this two years ago, and it started informing the way I speak to people, and it taught me how to listen. And that's a huge part of just having relationships with anybody, especially my parents. Cause it's so easy to be like, "Yeah, I've heard everything. I've been, I've been your kids for thirty years. I've heard everything you have to say to me." But like actually sitting down and being like, "Hey," and interview them without them knowing you're interviewing them. Yeah, just be like, ask them a question. Yeah. Like, ask them how you know. Cause it's so easy. It's just like. You know, at least for me, and I sing about this in this, in this new record, but, like, I sort of chalk my, my parents up to being, they know everything. So I just go to them for stuff, and then when you find out that they actually have things that they're still learning or still figuring out as well, yeah, ask them about that. Because it's probably been a long time since anybody has, you know? Yeah. And it's really interesting talking about that on stage and then having people afterwards coming up and, and sharing their, like, stories like that are similar. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Thinking about people in relationships, and because that's what we're all doing. Like yeah. we're all having relationships, and we're all we're all dealing with different types of people all the time. So that would be the most. If you're really trying to hit a universal theme that's going to resonate with the most amount of people, that's. I want to love and not hold back to feel like I know you and may. It lasts to feel like I know where you're coming from and where you're going. Every time that we find love, it's like we can't be bothered to turn it up. I can feel your heart and every beat as it pulls the love right out of me. And go. Never good enough. You gotta give all you got or walk away. So let's talk about so this this new record, the brilliant oh reintroduction. Nick Floor <laughs> feels self-serving to say that, but well, I can say it. You can't say it. <laughs> you it, yeah, you can be a jerk if you said it. I get to say it. Um. But it is. It's freaking brilliant. What, what do you want to know about this album, Andy? Well, let me... Let me. Yeah, I don't know about this album. I don't... I'm, you weren't there every step of the way. I, I know the answers to the questions I'm going to ask you. Tell me about the... So we have four songs on this record about your uncle. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much you want to... I know a lot of these stories you tell live. I do, yeah. So you may not want to blow them. But give us like a, a little snapshot of... Well, he, he was a guy that... He was my grandmother's uh, brother... And he was a guy I didn't know. Like it, it blows me away. Like what? <laughs> you never met him? I, I did, but I only knew him as my like crazy uncle Bob who lived in California. Okay. And he was crazy just because he was. Uh, I, and I say this on stage, but he had like he would be the guy that whenever he would send us birthday cards in the mail, my mom would just throw them away without looking at him because he was he was very he didn't feel like there was ever an age where you, where you know children couldn't see a scantily clad woman you know he would just he would they would vacation him and his wife would vacation in like florida and stuff and he would just pick out like the tackiest birthday cards and send it to a seven-year-old he was just like whatever he's gonna see it one day he was just like a this uncle that my made my mom who's you know extremely conservative very nervous and and so i just knew him as sort of like he's just kind of 
crass Uncle Bob. Mm-hmm. And then like learning whenever I have like my my sort of uh, an idea of the way somebody is, and then that gets shaken. Nothing interests me more. Like I, lo- yeah. I love I love preconception shattered. Yeah, I love that so much. Even like when I get on stage with, with an acoustic guitar, I love when, if nobody's seen me play before that they have a notion of what's about to happen and then shattering that in some aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm not gonna do a John Mayer cover, you know? Like oh, already miscon- misconception. Yeah. Um, so, but with, with with people, especially, and my grandmother one day was just sort of unloading all these stories because I responded well to one, and if you respond well to old people, they will keep talking to you. <laughs> Um, we revert to childhood. It yes. was funny once. Let's yep. do it a hundred times. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I, she was telling me about, she was like, well, you know, he was in the, we were looking through a scrapbook or, or a photo album or something, and she was, and there was an article about him being in the Navy, and, you know, and this whole story unfolded about him being on the sub that was um, in Australia for a week, like, for, like, a week off, and then they, and then he got really drunk and left the group, and then the sub took off without him, and then he sort of, when he got together again with, with his superiors, or with where he was supposed to check in, found out that the sub left, and he thought he was going to be in so much trouble, and then it turns out, you know, the sub was actually never heard from again, like, it disappeared. And, yeah. And that, insane. and he was a 19-year-old kid, and he was just absolutely... You know, I can't imagine dealing with that as a 19-year-old kid. I can't imagine dealing with that as a 30-year-old man. Like, that's just a... Yeah. You know, and he, and he was running from responsibility to join the Navy. Like, he was just sort of forced to join the Navy uh, because his responsibilities at home went, like, sideways, and he just kind of jumped into it. And so that that was just one of many stories I was told that day, and I was like, how do... how There has to be a song about this. So I think you, you even said, like this guy needs a song like this needs a song yeah or four so that and that's I I remember when that you told me that story you had been told that story as a funny story it Mm -hmm. was a it was a oh my goodness that's so crazy ha 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 because it's his because it is there's an element of of humor to it that his idiocy led to oh because well the postscript of the story is that he got like a medal of honor yeah flown home his papers he was on the front page of the paper and so it was kind of funny that an idiot you know he was an idiot and irresponsible, and he was lauded as a hero. And then, yeah, and then I, I think you, you just kind of talked about, like, it's actually really sad. <laughs> it's actually well, no, kind of a the, tragedy. Remember the working title? We didn't have a song, but the working no. title was, like, Medal of Honor. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So we thought that would be a funny, ironic title. Mm-hmm. And the more we were trying to find a way in, we're like, this is, the more we were talking about the story, we're both just going, this is dark. Yeah. This is a really hard heartbreaking story yeah but it's one of my favorite songs i mean and it was you've ever written me too and i feel like it was instant like as soon as i remember like talking about this and as soon as we established that like this needs a song and you jumped on the piano immediately and started playing that the piano line i remember just being like like the song at that point like just took life and it's like we were trying to catch up to it yeah i felt like the the moment that i played that and you sang the first line pretty much right away Uh uh-huh and we just kind of looked at each other we're like well this record. I've been a fool for most of my life. Join the service to keep me in line. I lost my Evelyn, married a submarine, 10,000 leagues, three months at a time. I just am so thrilled with the way that song turned out, and it, to me, that's that's one of the most emotional songs in the record. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's, I'm sure it's a huge point. I haven't seen you play since this record's come out, but I'm sure it's a huge point in the show. It, I mean, it's always in the middle of the show. Like I just i I like to go. I like to start at a high level, 
then bring it down to like a like which you a as a, low a, and then a bring it songwriter actually do have a high level. <laughs> I know, which it's true. Thank God for that because I've sat through. <laughs> I mean, I can't take another dude with an acoustic guitar. It's, that's it's, why. That's why I love it. Like, and and part of me, like, I love playing with a band so much. But there is an element of like just getting up there with an acoustic and and be like, okay, let's see what how far I can take this. Yeah, with just these two things, and and it is. I I love. Well, I've always wanted to be in a band, and I never can make a band work, and so I was like, well, maybe I could just be a band within myself and do something. You know, I'm like, anything that I can do, if I'm up on that stage, I want to be yeah. I want to be performing these songs. And, like, well, Lost at Sea, specifically, is it, it's it's an amazing... I mean, I, I played a show, a house show that was rousing. It was, it was a house party. It wasn't a house show, and it was not ideal. But I played it, and it was hard to get everybody together and they were just laughing and, and having a good time with each other. They didn't need me to be there. And then I just started playing that song. I didn't, I didn't, I think I introed it a little bit, but they were talking over the story and then I just started playing it. And within a minute, it was just completely silent. Really? Until the end of the song. And I was like, yes. And then the rest of the show was you great. Yeah. Great. Oh, that's so awesome. And, and honestly, like that's, and I, I, I would speak to I'm I'm fine bragging about that song specifically, but a lot of these songs because I feel like we just sort of it was just in the air and we just mm-hmm. sort of grabbed it. Yeah, we didn't know that, that we just showed up. We didn't know that was going to be there that day. Yeah, you were. This was I mean, this was the third record that that we you know have made together, mm-hmm. and it was definitely the we were the least prepared. Absolutely, and and definitely me because the first. Okay, so let's talk. Through, let's talk through this. So the first the first record you made, you had let's let, talk for like. Just real briefly. Yeah. Well, Great Escape, my first album was uh, songs that I had played for like a year and a half. Like they mm-hmm. were they were locked in. Nothing was changing on those songs. Yeah. And uh, I didn't even I'd never worked with a producer before, and you were uh, very kind. I feel like now looking back, and I was like, man, I really maybe I don't know whether it makes your job easier as a producer or harder if there's no wiggle room. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> because I was so locked in on what these songs were, mm-hmm. and there are a few surprises. There's always surprises when you start building like around an acoustic mm-hmm. song. Just because I was used to writing twelve songs and then performing the crap out of them on stage without it being recorded, and then making a record because you know you, you raise money by going on the road or whatever, yeah. and then you go in and, and and record them. And at that point, by the time that album came out, people were already my fan base was sick of those songs because they already knew them. Yeah, and were sort of. I think they were like, oh, cool, that's what it sounds like with drums, you know? And then, yeah. and then uh, And that's why I was like, oh, you have to kind of like, there ha- there needs to be an element of surprise. Like, don't play, don't, like, they really, that was a huge learning curve for me. To, like, don't lay out all your cards at once, you know, and maybe put one new song in the set, you know, kind of thing, or two, especially leading up to the release, like, you know, or the recording of it. And then Hello Stranger was, was the point where I was like, stoked because I was about to unveil 11 new songs for people yeah. that they had never Well, that heard. was there was a big difference in your demeanor and your sort of attitude from like a well, I don't know, in the first record. Yeah. To I'm I'm in it. Let's go. Like, oh, you yeah. were so you had so many songs written mm-hmm. for Hello Stranger and we were we we're throwing out yeah. great, better songs that were on your first record. I agree, yeah. And <laughs> and they were cle- like you'd you, they. I mean, some of those songs are so intricate lyrically and musically. They're I, just they're so fun. And, and from a writing aspect, I've never worked harder on an album than what I did for Hello Stranger. And it shows. Like I really, I wanted every every little nook and cranny to have a a point. And I and those are the the albums that I love from like songwriters specifically. Is like, man, there's not a wasted moment on that album. You mm-hmm. know, like. Even if like some like have more room to breathe, some songs like are, seem a little bit long and like slow, but they still there's a point to that. I feel like there's an yeah. ebb and, there's an ebb and flow that needs to be that, that there's something a being purpose. communicated in that. Yeah, space. it's important, and there's an important like it's important sometimes to to take an extra four measures in between the first verse and the pre-chorus just to let that sink in, like stuff you know, like and that's important even when I'm playing like specifically Lost at Sea, you know, I, when I'm playing an acoustic, there's not you know, trumpets and all the stuff when I play live, like there are on the record, but I still allow for that time to pass and like sing little melodies and stuff because it's important to the song to like all along the way it's sinking in as you're, as you're listening to it. And I feel like it would be, it would be missed or it would change the song a little bit if you kind of removed a lot of those things. And that was a lot of like what I learned between those two albums was, you know, I wanted every, I wanted every second to count on that, Mm -hmm. on that record. It really was like, this might be the last record I ever make kind of mentality yeah you know so i have to make every 
every and to go back to Switchwood again, like John Foreman, I've wrote this down. Like he said it in an interview, like the way they write is the song is king. Like when they're focusing on one song, like this might be the only song anybody ever hears from us. So we better make it like the best song we can. And that was sort yeah, of my that's a really great thought. That was like my like a huge focal point for me and a reminder while I was making Hell Stranger. I remember writing that down, being like, the song is king. And like so if there's any point where I was like, I think this is good enough, like no. Like keep like put it aside, come back tomorrow. You know, or come take a take a walk. Go see a movie. Come and then come back and work on it again. If you there's a part of you in your soul that feels like the song could be you better. Because you know when it's not you know when it's not right. Yeah. And if there's a part of you that, know. that caves a little bit and you're de- even if you're in denial about it, you know and I know now and that later you're not gonna like that song. Like it's just gonna be yeah. like it could be a year, it could be a month, whatever, but you're still gonna be like, Ugh you know, there's gonna be a, if there's an ounce of regret that you didn't kinda go for it and work just, you know, another day on it. You know, because as we know, like every a day or even like an afternoon could be a game changer to make a good song great. Oh man, and yeah, that was a huge lesson on this new on this new album because there was so much of the writing that happened like literally while we were like we were recording it. I feel I feel like yeah, well there was so, yeah there were songs that you know after we'd recorded the whole band. Oh, we need fifteen more measures here. Yeah, that need to do this. Are right, you guys gonna take lunch? I'm gonna. <laughs> I want to piece together 15 bars of drum fill. That was the that was the amazing part. And when I talked to Stacy a few weeks ago on on the podcast, we talked about how you like it's so much fun watching you deal with those types of situations. <laughs> you're like it needs something, and then and then because you are the producer, but you're also like a multi instrumentalist. Like you can like be, like throw this on there and throw this on there, and and to watch you be like, I think it. Hmm. And then you just jump up, grab a guitar, and you, you play a little line. And you're like, "Oh no, close!" But then we also need this, and then you gra- you'll grab something else. And just to kind of sit back, like a lot of days, we're just sitting back and watching you. Just instead of having to communicate it to another like another like uh, player, you could just literally get up and do it, and or be like, "What about this?" And like you get to a point where you, I've, I've learned anyway to just stop asking what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> at some, I, I think like at some point we have What's to take doing? lunch. I don't know. We have know. we have to take a lunch break. And I can ask him then. Uh, or he'll explain it to me. He's not going to leave me in the dark. But there's so many times where, like, if you had to stop and explain it, it would stop the, the flow of it. Yeah, you yeah. Just, you just need to get it out. Even if it's a bad idea. Yeah. At least you know that that idea that you had that was itching in your brain is gone now. Well, I feel like on the... the yeah, sometimes not not everybody that you work with works the same way, which I totally get. And it's... Yeah, it's probably a lot to ask of people to be like, hey, I'm going to do something really weird to your song. Give me three hours. Yeah. That you're paying me for. And guess and what? It might suck. <laughs> it might not work <laughs> at all. But on this record, I feel like you were the same way, which was so fun. Because I watched you do... I mean, hey, hey, I want to do this. And yeah. like, okay, I, I don't know what he's going to do. That was so fun yeah. for me to watch the, it's the your scariest, level of confidence. It's the scariest... It's a scary fun. Because for, for me, and one of the lessons that you taught me through... just And, I, and I, now I, I, I sort of like pass this on to people whenever they ask like advice about writing especially early on because I am sort of a perfectionist mindset in a lot of ways and I like having everything to have its place like I was saying earlier Um, and I don't leave a margin for error because and and that's not even a good that's not even a good phrase for it because it's not error it's just a margin for for magic it's a margin for just that sort of that thing that you can't put your finger on but when you show up you know if, if and I think you told me this when we came in the studio maybe the last two records like maybe don't write the songs 100% let's leave them at like 85 yeah and come in that's the best and and that was with Hell Stranger I remember you telling me that and that was terrifying because but also beautiful because when I when I got there the songs were so uh they I wasn't locked in with anything everything had a question mark by it even if I thought it was great but if, if you came in, you're like, mm, that isn't really that. This this is great, but for another song, like, so let's take let's remove this part of the song, and maybe it fits somewhere else. And normally, I'd be like, no, 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 you know, don't touch that, that, that go stay, that, that's its place, you know, being OCD. About yeah, but leaving that 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 room to grow and like let's 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 see where the song wants to take us once we get in there, because you know, once you start hearing things, especially when you start laying down tracks and you can get that out of your brain, that's when like. That's really when songs start coming, like popping and coming to life. Like, oh, you know, what'd be cool here. Uh, yeah. This harmonium that's way out of tune, or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> let's tune it. Or, or no, yeah. whatever, whatever that thing the is. The harmonium. There. Oh yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> currently. This is gonna sound terrible. Thirty-nine for a while. cents out of tune. Yeah, it's got a sticker on it. 
<laughs> then it gets more and more out of tune, and so but, you have to play it out of tune. But it takes a, it's a large amount of trust to know that like I, I feel like placing your songs in the in the hands of a producer is a huge amount of trust. But uh, what I was saying earlier about the lesson I learned was you taught me because I'm very calculated in the way that I write, and like this has its place, and it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, chorus, and there's nothing else. And then you sort of taught me to kind of bleed all over the tape and clean up around the edges. Yeah. And that was something I never thought about doing because before you clean up around the edges, it's messy. And it's what, very messy. what if somebody hears it and, and it's bad and you just have to be like, well, you, that's when we go in and fix it. But not being afraid to, to, to suck for the, for the sake of it being the possibility of it being great, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. is huge. Like that's, huge like okay i'm gonna sing and it's like you would go in and sing like these really high parts that were gonna be way 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 in the back but needed to be there as far as like coloring the uh, apart mm -hmm. and you would be like and i remember stacy and i sitting here and you'd be like unabashedly just going in there and not nailing it at all <laughs> just swing and a miss Strike out left and right, and then Man, that was horrible. And then, like the seventh time, you were like, "Yeah, that I can do that. I deal with that." And then you, you did this magic thing where you go in and you just delete all the bad stuff, and then yeah. you put the good one in. You know, it's just, <laughs> oh, he's really good. He's really talented. But so much, even, so much of me, like, especially with this record, you taught me like, just go in and sing it, and like, we're gonna do this a lot. We're gonna, you're gonna sing this a bunch of times, so don't worry about it being great. Just kind of try stuff, like, yeah. like whatever, like trust your instincts, which is a huge part. A huge lesson for me because I, I didn't for so long. I literally have a song about where I oh, nobody gets out clean is about me not trusting my instincts, but but have but like waiting for somebody else before it's valid. I was shown how to love at an early age. I was given attention and time. And if I needed help, I looked for someone else I never learned to do it by myself I was taught to fear what I did not know but to trust a God I could not see to look high There's a type that you, I think, have fit in, which is that you are a really great live performer, and I, you could easily be one of those people who is great live and whose records are too perfect, mm. because that's your personality. Is you want it to be so exactly the way you want it, yeah. so exactly like clinical, yeah, and um, and so you know my my job with an artist like you is not to is not to teach you how to sing or teach you how to perform which is great it's to get you to forget that you're in the studio that's true you know and and to be at a show where you're connecting with you're looking people in the eyes and you're saying no I want you to understand this line no you gotta under, I'm gonna this line mm -hmm. you make it you make it matter and then well some of the fun things that uh, the, on this record like Nobody Gets Out Clean and Kick and Scream both are prime examples of they were songs that weren't weren't very written they were just little they, but they were the idea was weighed heavy on you yeah I really want to write about this I don't know how to do it and what we re in our conversations we realized that there were so that, that, in, that both those songs there were such different things you wanted to communicate that um, and you had that because you were, you had that idea of well, what if we didn't, what if the song didn't stay in the same feel? Like mm -hmm. if it changes, and and the the song at the end doesn't sound anything like the song at the beginning, or you know, we, we took a lot bigger left turns, where second verse, which is typically exactly the same as the first, yeah, you know, it was just hey, everything is different, and there wasn't a button on the end of the song that. That was like a callback to the beginning of the song. Yeah, it's literally it quite easily be a different song. They're like a conversation where you start talking about one thing and you end up talking about something else, and you realize, <laughs> oh, I just really said something there, didn't I? Yeah, and those are so there's so much fun to listen to. I feel like, yeah, a that takes a lot of confidence as a writer and a performer 
to say I've already got some good in the song and I could write it home and it would be great but I'm going to I'm going to leave it and see what else is out there For like a minute 20 let's just take a left crazy so fun and that's the nobody gets out clean to me is the other to me that's the other emotional high water point of the record absolutely that was a huge triumph moment too because that song started off as like a really slow like late night oh that's acoustic right. ballad yeah it was there I, were a lot of these sort I was of sitting, G yep. strummers just, I was sitting on I was sitting on this couch I'm sitting on now and like just playing through it and and you were just sort of like this is good you know and I was like yeah me too and we, neither of us were saying it but it needed something else and then we, and that's another beautiful thing about making a record is looking at the landscape of what you got so far and be like yeah, what does the song need it needs a power anthem <laughs> Yeah, and we're like, let's make this a power anthem. Yeah, the the, the size of that song mm-hmm. musically fits the depth of that lyric. Yeah, and that idea. It is. It's it's crazy that it's the most personal song that I've probably ever written, and it has, and it's and it's something that would fit the size of Bridgestone Arena, you know, or whatever, you know, like it, mm-hmm. like if you that song would work in that in like really large venues. But now I feel like I I did something I've never done before with that yeah and even when I play it live it just acoustic I, it feels like a big song it is a big song <laughs> I, yeah that's that's really that was a huge and honestly like, I, I, I think I've said this before but uh, uh, this whole album was sort of like and maybe we had this conversation too but like what, what are some things that I haven't done before yeah. as an artist like if we've done it before let's maybe like put it aside like if I've taken this road before Let's maybe let's let's see what else is out there. Yeah, there aren't a lot of major threes on this record. Not a lot. There's there a few. Are, there are a lot of there's the a few, record. and I think that all the ones that are there are there because uh, I wrote it before it got to you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, if I'm gonna get this, I in, definitely didn't add any. <laughs> nope. Yeah. You know what this song needs? A major three. You've never said that before. Not to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's because you you're a Ben Folds. You oh, know, yeah. like if there's an E Beatles, minor, like you're, if you're, there's an E minor in there, and A seven wants to be played so badly, yeah. <laughs> and you know, your dad is into jazz. It's like, yeah, of course, of course, you think in major seconds, major thirds. Nobody else writes those chords until Always they've do. exhausted. I know the fourth record. That's that's yeah. That's your, my your fourth record. My muscle be like memory GCD. goes there. <laughs> I'm slowly getting. I'm slowly getting more formula. The more records I put out. Okay, I mean, there's yeah, there's so many great songs on this record. So I'm looking through the song list. <laughs> uh, I listened to it today. It's just so, it's so fun. You know what? To go back to a record, it is. It really is great. Like, and as much as we listened to this record, infinitum while we were making it, mm-hmm. and you probably more than me even, uh, just from working on it when I was not in the studio, but like putting it on, like it's really great to put it on, like like once a month or so I'll just mm-hmm. throw it on even like a couple times a month just be like I wonder if it still holds up you know like you think about I think about that with other people's records too oh yeah and so, I, I get like, scared I don't sometimes oh, I don't listen too. to records I love because oh. I'm like what if acting baby isn't as great as I want it to be this I week? do that with everything I, I, it always is I won't watch Princess Bride again <laughs> I will never watch that movie again in my entire life in case it because, doesn't leave, yes, li- I live can't, up it needs to live in my five year old brain as being the funniest movie of all time, and I know it's not. Ella, I can't Ella watch just it. watched it. My eight-year-old daughter. Really? She just watched it at a birthday. That's kind of dark. She loved it. What's well, like? What's well, a fairy tale? Of course, she's eight. She's an eight-year-old girl. That was when I saw it. So Perfect. That makes sense. She just laughed. She couldn't believe it was. She's like, Dad, have you ever heard of this movie? It's the funniest. She's never seen anything like that. I can't wait to see everything else Andre the Giant has done. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this? <laughs> Who's this thespian genius? Oh, okay, okay, she's watching House of Mirrors. I'm like, um. Uh, <laughs> I know it's tough when you get what you want, but it's not what you need, so it's never enough. For emotions, all that Storyteller, so that's a natural part of it. Um, I never thought I would, I would be a storyteller. It's really interesting. Like, 
that's people like what I'm just noticing as people are starting to book me again for house shows are like come here you know these great stories as well as songs <laughs> like or like people mention the fact that I you know like he's hilarious on Twitter also he has an album out I'm like I never you know mm-hmm. which I anything gets people out I'm I'm game <laughs> yeah I don't yeah. care whatever <laughs> use whatever yes he's a white male we like white males <laughs> let's go see him you know I know a few of them. <laughs> you know like I don't care what it is man. Okay, all right. We um, did it. Episode 50. Episode 50. I feel like I talked right. a lot. You're awesome. People buy but this that's record. The point. <laughs> don't just don't just listen to this free podcast. Pay Nick for his awesome record. Thanks, Andy. Well, that is it. Episode 50. We did it. We made it all the way through. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, that was a lot of me, but I, I I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I have three albums on iTunes. It feels so weird to talk about me instead of an artist, uh, another artist. But uh, uh, And also, I didn't really mention it at the beginning, but if you guys are around, Edmond, Oklahoma, Springfield, Missouri, Charlotte, North Carolina, or Phoenix and Tucson, Arizona, I'm playing in your city soon. So go to nickflora.com um, and check out the dates there. And uh, yeah. So this is it. Episode 50, season two comes to a close. And as always, I'm Nick Flora. This is who writes this stuff. Go do something creative. Mm-hmm.